forgiveness, Father. All your promises are yes and amen. And as we continue in this Advent season, when we are considering the one great promise that we've received and seen, Lord, we pray that we know that deeply in our hearts and that we'd be looking to future promises as well. In Jesus' name. Amen. Please take a seat. We'll be getting into those future promises now. Good morning. My name's Steve. For those of you who don't know me, I am uh, one of the ministers here at St. John's. Welcome to everyone uh, watching at home as well. It's great to have you with us. We are in December, which seems extraordinary to me. Every year, I'm surprised by December popping up, but it's happened again. And um, the run into Christmas has truly begun, hasn't it? And um, there are all sorts of things, I guess, this time of year going through our minds. Is the Christmas tree up? Is it? Whose Christmas tree's up? Whose isn't? Whose isn't going to be going up? Okay. Uh, have you got your presents yet? I haven't done anything about any of that. Um, don't tell Imogen. She's got sound in the crash room. Hope it's not working. Um, uh, who are you seeing over Christmas? Have you sorted that out yet? What are you eating? Of course, usually a big point of Christmas. And uh, will Boris Johnson this year attempt to put restrictions on your Christmas. <laughs> what do you reckon? Should we have a yes or no? No, okay. No. Do you hear that? If you're watching at home, Mr. Johnson, the people have spoken. So, uh, whilst all of that is going on, I guess... It's easy, and potentially we say this every year, don't we? It's easy to just go along with it. We go along with the flow, and we miss other things. It's easy, isn't it, to do that? Um, if someone asks you this question, what is your role this Christmas? What is your role this Christmas? It's a weird question, maybe. What is your role this Christmas? Um, what would be your answer? Perhaps you'd say, my role, as every year, is getting the Christmas tree up. That's my role. Done. Job done. Tick. Or my role is making the cranberry sauce on Christmas Day. Is that anyone's role? No, you just buy it, don't you? Okay. Perhaps you'd say something like that. Perhaps, uh, perhaps if you're lucky, your role is um, sitting there with your feet up and staying out of the kitchen. Is that anyone's role here? Yeah, a few, good. So anyway, keep that question in mind. What is your role this Christmas? What is your role this Christmas? Right, we're going to open our Bibles. So if there, I think there's uh, Sarah's coming around with some there, Trevor. Stick your hand up if you fancy a Bible. We're going to follow along. And if you've got your ones there already, we are in Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3. We're going to start at verse 1. 
page 1029 of your church Bibles there. Luke chapter 3 from verse 1. It's coming up on the screen as well and I will read that. Um, I haven't practiced these names too much so I apologise for the butchering that's about to commence. Okay, from verse 1. And then when we get to verse 9 we're going to skip to verses 15 and 16. Okay, here we go. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod Tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip Tetrarch of Euteria, and Trachonitis and Lysanias Tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of uh, the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways smoothed, and all people will see God's salvation. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptised by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe has been laid to the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. John answered them all, I baptise you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and fire. It's the word of the Lord. Okay. I guess when I was looking at this this week, look, by the way, this is obviously an amazing passage. There are so many various things we could pull out of this. I'm just going to pull out a few for us this morning, and I hope that's enough. Um, but I guess the part that jumped out of me from that is that the people were waiting expectantly. Verse 15 there. And it makes you ask the question, waiting for what? Well, the Messiah, what's that? Um, I don't know about you, but waiting can be hard, can't it? Um, even something like we get frustrated waiting for a bus that doesn't seem to be coming, don't we? Like, <laughs> the matter of a few minutes, um, that sort of thing can be hard. Um, I mean, per- personally, I mean, Imogen and I have experienced some serious waiting in our lives. We waited five years for our first little lad, Raf, who's in the crash room at the moment. He's three and a half now. It was a, hard, a long five years that was. We waited It wasn't easy. We lost hope, I think. But to really begin to understand the level of waiting that these people here 
in Luke chapter 3 we're experiencing. We need to go back to the very beginning. And by the very beginning, I mean the very beginning. So right back to Genesis chapter 3 is where it all begins. We have this moment in the Garden of Eden where our first parents, Adam and Eve, went against the Lord. We all know the story, don't we? They formed an alliance with Satan and darkness entered the world. And at that very moment, a promise was brought forward. At that moment, the waiting began. The promise of a child in Genesis chapter 3, verse 16. A child who would come and defeat Satan and set humanity free. And the waiting began. Down the millennia, they waited. Some better than others. Some waited better than others. Um, as the faithful passed down the promise from generation to generation over thousands of years, and they waited and they waited through Noah and Abraham and through Isaac and Moses and Joshua and Elijah and Jonah and Isaiah and Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Zechariah and Malachi and many more down the millennia. They waited. And during that time, do you really think that they waited well all of the time? I don't think they did. Some turned to worship other gods, looking for answers elsewhere. Some turned to worship idols. Some forgot about the promise altogether. They forgot what they were supposed to be waiting for. Some ceased to believe that that promise would ever come to pass. And they lost hope. And so here, when we join John the Baptist in Luke chapter 3, this is not something that's just suddenly been cooked up here. When we read that they waited expectantly in verse 15, it isn't as if these people have been waiting a few days or a few weeks. These people had been waiting and hoping, some better than others, for thousands of years. It's hard to imagine. And so those faithfully waiting out of the whole of humanity had been reduced to pretty much one nation, and not even that, only a few faithful within that nation who were truly still waiting. And so as John the Baptist stands out in the wilderness there, that in itself is prophetic, that he stands almost alone in his waiting, in the wilderness, with not many people with him. But yet, he still calls out, doesn't he? Even though he stands in the wilderness with seemingly very few ears to hear out there, he still faithfully calls out. He reminds people of this promise. He calls people to repentance. He shares the gospel of Jesus Christ. And even when it seems he's doing it by himself. And people do come as we read here in Luke chapter 3. And when they come, I guess there's sometimes 
confused. Some of them looked, as we read, they looked at John and they wondered if he was Jesus, if he was the Messiah, the one they were waiting for. And they wondered whether he was the promise. And then in verse 15, but John says no, and he points beyond himself, doesn't he? He points beyond himself to Jesus. He says, I baptise you with water, but one who is more powerful than you will come. The straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So John is there in the wilderness. He's calling out, and as people come to him, he's not taking any glory himself. He's pointing beyond himself, outside of himself, to something greater and someone greater. And so they wait They wait together, expectantly. There in the wilderness, they wait. And that first Christmas, they did receive the promise. Born in a manger, the eternal Son of God made flesh. And they watched him grow up. And they listened to his teaching. And they experienced his ministry And they witnessed his defeat of Satan, as was promised long ago on that cross. They witnessed his death, resurrection, ascension as he went to sit again, once more at his father's right hand. And then, after seeing all that, what did they do? They waited. They waited again. They waited for him to fulfill the promise of his glorious return when once again he comes to make all things new, to put a final end to all pain and suffering and to live with his people forever. And for us sitting here now today, us us who are in this room and those watching online, That is the promise you have inherited. That's the promise that you have inherited as you sit here today. We've inherited this. That Jesus would return. The day and hour we don't know, but that he will return, that's our great hope. John the Baptist was called to a specific prophetic ministry at that time. A ministry that, and it's important, a ministry that has now been passed to the church and each one of us. And so, returning to that question I posed at the beginning, what is your role this Christmas? What is your role? I want to suggest that it's three things. First, that you are a voice calling in the wilderness. That you are a voice calling in the wilderness. It can feel like we're living in a spiritual wilderness, can't it? Perhaps particularly brought into focus at this time of year when Christians are celebrating the birth of Jesus and the rest of the country is celebrating a commercialised version of it. Does that feel a bit like 
you're in the wilderness by yourself. It might even be that you actually feel like you're personally in a spiritual wilderness right now. It's not necessarily such a bad thing. God can do great things when we're in the wilderness, just as he did with John. So how are you calling out into that wilderness? If you feel like you're personally in a spiritual wilderness, what better place to rediscover, to discover afresh your purpose when there's nothing else that we're holding on to? So how are you calling out into that wilderness? What ways might there be of you sharing the hope of the return of Jesus in the wilderness? One very, very practical and simple way is these cards that we've just given out. Um, Could that be part of how you're calling out in the wilderness this Christmas? I'd encourage you to do so. First of all, So a voice calling in the wilderness. Second, your role this Christmas, that you are pointing to Jesus. You're pointing to Jesus. Perhaps your friends and family have noticed a sense of peace and hope about you at Christmas time. How often do people compliment us uh, or our personality? I don't know. I mean, I don't often get that, if I'm honest. But uh, you might. Uh, And we just accept the compliment. We just accept the compliment. I wonder if, like John the Baptist, we should always be pointing beyond ourselves, speaking of Jesus' work in our lives. That we don't act for our own glory, but instead point to Jesus as the author of that peace and hope and joy in our lives that others might see. That's number two. We're pointing to Jesus. And third, your role this Christmas, that you are, and this is a thing, waiting. That's a role. That you're going to wait. Waiting expectantly. And waiting well. Some would have you believe, some versions out there of the human story is, uh, is that it's one of progress, of action, of initiative, of triumph over the elements that we started as little cells and amoeba and we conquered and we grew and we progressed And we are in control of our destiny. That's one version of the human story. I think the reality the Bible reveals to us is that actually the human story has been primarily one of waiting. We are waiting. Waiting for that pivotal point in human history on the cross like those people had in Luke. And since then, waiting, which is where we join in, waiting for the end of human history on this earth, 
when Jesus comes again. I wonder what sort of waiter you are. What sort of waiter are you? Verse 15. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts. Do you wait with your heart? It's a weird concept, that. I'm waiting with my heart. I'm engaging my heart whilst I'm waiting. What does that mean? Are you in the midst of the distractions this Christmas, above all else, waiting, and not just waiting, but waiting expectantly, wondering in your heart when Jesus might return? Is that what's in your heart? So that's my suggestion anyway to you this morning, just briefly out of Luke chapter 3. That you are called this Christmas to have a wonderful and important role, way more important than putting the Christmas tree up, making the cranberry sauce, putting your feet up and staying out of the kitchen. That you have a, a role that inserts you into the heart of the human story. Because the human story is Jesus' story. A voice in the wilderness pointing to Jesus and waiting expectantly. We're going to sing again now. Should we stand? And I'm going to pray. Because we do want to pray about this. Because Christmas can be hard. Christmas can be joyful. There's lots of emotions that can come with Christmas. We can feel a sense of loss. Loss of loved ones. Potentially it's our first Christmas without a loved one. It can remind us of bad childhood memories. It can consume us and make us not want to engage. But above all of those things and through all of those things, Jesus wants to captivate your hearts this morning. He wants you to call you afresh to this. To this... uh, calling he's laid on your life as one of of someone who's in him that you would be a voice you'd be his voice you'd be pointing to him and you'd be you'd be ultimately waiting expectantly so father come now by your spirit and minister to us and as we come to communion shortly we pray that we'd feel a real sense of binding together in you as we share in your body your blood what you've done for us Jesus that we'd be bound together this morning and know that we share this calling on our lives that we don't have to do it alone that although 
Monday to Saturday, it might feel like we're in the wilderness by ourselves, but here we can come and gain courage, fellowship, encouragement on a Sunday, Lord. So we pray for all of those things for us now. You'd help us to be fulfilling that calling on our lives over the coming days and weeks. There might be real impact, transformation for people through that, Lord. Use us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.